Okay, this morning, we want to look at Christmas according to the book of Hebrews. So if you will, please turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. I'll begin by reading verses 14 through 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Blessed is the reading of God's holy Christmas story. So Father, by the the mercy of the moving of your Spirit, allow us Jesus' brothers, sisters, sheep, to be intently focused upon the beauty of this passage this morning. That our worship go deep, really deep. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you all that you have done and are to us whom you called. So do it, Lord. Amen. So let's just spend a few minutes very slowly working our way through what we just read. Start the beginning of verse 14. The writer to the Hebrews tells us, Christians, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. Just pause for a moment. Notice the word therefore. It's there because of what he just said in verses 10 to 13. Referring to Jesus, son of Mary, and his brothers, his sisters, this family unit of those being saved. He says, since they, his brothers, his sisters, we believers are human beings. We share in flesh and blood. Because we are human beings, therefore, Jesus 
himself likewise partook of the same things. Therefore, Jesus became a human being. Now why? The answer is in the next clause. That through death. Why did he become a human being? Well, first, because that's what we are, but he needed to. Why? In order that he may die. That's why he became one of us. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things in order that through death. Now, why did he need to die? The answer's twofold in verses 14 and 15. He needed to become a human being in order to die so that he can accomplish the following purposes. So read on. In order that he might destroy. That's the first. That he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And then the second reason is that he would deliver. He would save. He would deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so he says, Christ needed to die in order to defeat the power of Satan. In other words, to take away his ability to cause our coming death to be a horrific experience. He destroyed him who had the power of what would happen to us after we die. And secondly, in effect, he delivers those sheep, those who believe in Christ from the slavery of what that coming death would mean. That's what he says. So in the flow of thought so far, what we see that is crystal clear is we all are human beings. We're not dogs or whales or angels, nor are we God in nature. Those are differing essences. We are human beings. And because of that, Christ became a human being. He did it in order to die for us. For the goal of defeating the power that Satan would have over sinners in death. And thus freeing us from the bondage, the slavery of fear. Of what, 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 what our death would have meant. He freed us for all eternity. Because the resurrection is coming. That's what he said. Then in verses 16 and 17, they go on to explain in more detail why, why being the savior of human beings, and particularly not, not angelic beings, it's a whole different category. No, no. 
not, in, not angels, but being the savior of human beings, it meant that he must become one of us and die for our sins. Look at verse 17. Therefore, Jesus had, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in every respect. He became in every way fully human. Nothing about his humanity was short of what humanity is. Now, why did he do it? Read on. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Now, remember what the high priest did in the Old Testament, particularly on the Day of Atonement, would take the substitutionary lamb, animal, shed its blood in order that God's wrath would be diverted away from the sins of His people and put on that animal as a substitutionary sacrifice so that their sins can be covered, can be forgiven. And so the question is, why did Jesus have to become a human being like us in order to be a faithful high priest? Well, the answer is in the next clause. In order to make Propitiation for the sins of the people. Now that word propitiation is what I just described. Where the Creator, God the Holy One, is propitiated. His perfect just anger against sinners has been propitiated satisfied and now he is reconciled to them and the whole point of this passage is that he needed to become a human being because as high priest it was his very humanity that he was putting forth on the altar for the propitiation, the forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God in order to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He needed to become a human being. And that's why the angel Gabriel showed up to the Virgin Mary and said to her, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You should call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is the Incarnation. This is Christmas. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood in true humanity, in other words, it's what we are, Jesus himself likewise became a human being. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. What we're talking about here is that the creator of the universe, God, became human. We are talking about the person who is God. The second person of the Holy Trinity. Not the Father. Not the Holy Spirit. But the eternal imprint of God's nature without beginning became a human being. Listen to how this same writer just a few paragraphs earlier described our Lord. Jesus, in chapter 1, starting with verse 2, he said, In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom, that is Jesus, also God created the world. And He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. And He, our Lord Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of His power. And He goes on to say, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, quoting the scripture, it says this, Let all God's angels worship the baby lying in a manger. And then again in chapter 1, verse 8, But of the Son, unlike the angels, of the Son, the Lord Jesus, Psalm 45 says, 
your throne. And this is God speaking. Your throne, oh baby Jesus. Your throne, oh God, is forever and ever. That's amazing. So how are we supposed to understand this historical event that we call Christmas? Are we talking about a, a, a human being? Or are we talking about God? Yes. You knew that was coming, didn't you, Alan? Because the answer to the question is we're talking not about two persons. We're talking about one person. Whether the baby lying in the manger or when he's two years old or when he's eight or twelve or thirty-three. We're referring to one person who is 100% God. Not 50% God and 50% human. Fully God. And the same person is fully 100% a human being. One of his very close earthly friends, a fisherman named John, after traveling with him for years in his ministry, listening to him teach decades later after watching him die, and then hanging out with him after his resurrection, he writes this. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Oh, He, my friend Jesus, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made in the he, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And I hung out with Him and we beheld His glory. Glory in His humanity as the only Son from the Father. From eternity Past. He was with God, he was God, and he became flesh, meaning he became human. That's Christmas. That's why when that baby Jesus grew up, he spoke these stunning words in John chapter 8. John sets it up this way. And so the Jews said to him, you're not even... 50 years old yet. And you've seen Abraham? 
who died over 1,600 years ago? And Jesus answered him, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him because they knew what he was saying. You existed long before your birth. His answer was yes. It's even deeper than that. I am as a play on Yahweh, the name of God. Moses, tell him I am sent you. And they knew what he was doing. I am. He is fully, absolutely, eternally, without beginning, God. That is Jesus. But he also is fully human. Because this very eternal God has become a human being. That's what our text in Hebrews 2 means when it says, since therefore the children, those of us who are sinners and doomed without a Savior, since therefore the children share in humanity, flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook the same things. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Jesus, this one person, he had not been a human being for all eternity, like is true of his other nature, his divine nature. He was never not fully God or fully divine. But he was not human. And he became a human being at a particular point when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. She conceived in her womb God, the Son, a human being. As much as it is heretical and it is false to deny Jesus' deity, it is just as heretical, just as non-Christian to deny His true, full humanity. The same fisherman who gave us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word, our Lord Jesus, became a human being, is the same one who combated the heresy of denying Jesus' full humanity. When he wrote this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, meaning every teacher who comes about, because there was a heresy going about in the church. But instead, test what they say. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. 
because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit, every teacher that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. John was refuting a horrific error that was going on in the late first centuries that said, well, Christ is so holy, of course He wouldn't become one of us. Human being. Especially with a Greek mindset of how, by definition, the natural physical world is evil. He, he, wouldn't, be, he wouldn't become one of us. He only appeared. You know, angels can appear and disappear. He just appeared to be human. This false teaching denied the central, crucial doctrine of Christianity. Christmas. The incarnation. The eternal one became a human being. Now, in your contemplation of that, you have to be very careful. It is not because he changed from deity into humanity. No. He did not when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And she conceived. He he did not cease being God and thus became now human. I am no longer this, but now I am this. No, but what happened is that the divine person took upon himself a human nature. Let me say it again. The person who always in his nature of being is God, eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. That very person took to his person another nature. It is a created nature. It is the human nature. He became at conception a real human being. That mortal body began to develop and to grow for nine months. And he was born and he continued to grow and he became a little boy and a teenager and a young man a man in his 30s. Okay. He didn't as God just say, I'm God by nature, so I will take one of those earthly shells, human shells, body, and and, and I will just insert my divine nature into the body and I'm really God, but not, I'm just walking around in a human body. That's not the incarnation. 
He took to himself full humanity, not just a mortal body, but in that body there is a brain, and in that brain there is a human mind that he had and has and began to develop. That's why Jesus, which is impossible for his divine nature, increased in wisdom and knowledge. He knew something this month he didn't know that month. That is an impossibility with God, the nature of God. It is not an impossibility with the human nature. He had a human mind, a human intellect, human emotions and experiences. Actually, I want you to turn to a very crucial text on this. Philippians 2, for a moment. <coughs> Philippians 2. Paul writes, starting with verse 6. Though he, referring to Jesus, though Jesus was in the morphe of God, the form of God. It's his way of saying, though he, the person we're talking about, was in very nature, God, he, even though that's true, he did not count equality with God, which he is, a thing to be grasped. It doesn't mean I don't have it, I'm going to reach up and grasp it. It means grasp in the sense I won't let go in the sense of refuse to become a human being. That's what the rest of it says. Look at it closely. He didn't consider it a thing to be grasped. But, but, but what? But he made himself nothing. What does that mean? He explains it. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Meaning, how did he make himself nothing? The divine person, that person, he did it by taking the form of a servant. That is, being Born in the likeness of humanity, of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming, as a human being, obedient. To the point of death, even the death on the cross. What Paul just told us is simply this. Second person of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father and the Son. There's only one God who has eternally existed in three persons. That Son took to Himself His person, true human nature. And in doing it, it does not mean that He laid aside His divine nature. Or his divine attributes. It does not mean that in becoming a human being. He stopped being God. If God. There's only one God. There are not three gods. If God. Laid aside one of his attributes. Like omniscience or omnipotence. 
Well, then the immutable, that means the unchangeable one, who is God, would have gone through a mutation. He would have changed. For the, if the infinite stopped being infinite, the universe would cease to exist. The point is that God the Son cannot stop being fully God and still be God. That's why biblical, orthodox Christianity has always affirmed concerning our Lord Jesus. We are talking about only one person who now and forever has two distinct, unmixed natures. Fully God and fully human. And that Christmas story, that incarnation is absolutely necessary and foundational to the understanding of the gospel of our salvation. Listen again to verse 17 of our passage, Hebrews 2. Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect. Why? So that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God in order to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And he was obedient even unto death, the gruesome death of a Roman cross. As Paul writes in Romans 8, think about this, the next big trial you go through. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Meaning first, sending the angel Gabriel to Mary. All the way through the cross. Slaughtered him. How will he not, through Jesus, give to us all things? That's what it means. The most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave to the world, to humanity, His only Son, so that whoever will believe in Him will not perish in condemnation, but they will have everlasting, eternal life. This is Christmas according to the book of Hebrews. And, and if you know Hebrews well, you know the plea of the author throughout that whole sermon that he is writing. It is at its core this, and may every child in here and adult hear it. His plea is, do not neglect such a great salvation. So as we're coming to the close, let's again contemplate 
the glories of what we mean by Christmas. Jesus has both a human and a divine nature. Each nature is utterly full and complete. And yet each nature in the one person, and this is where the brain just goes off and can only go so far. But each nature, his divine nature and his true humanity, just like you, they are distinct. They're not mixed together into a pot. And so you come up with some weird third nature, you know, divine human nature. No, no, no. They are distinct. And nevertheless, we're just talking about one person. And the things contemplate the Gospels, contemplate Jesus' earthly life. Every, every experience of the one person, everything about the one person, Jesus, that was true about His divine nature, or that is true about His human nature, is, is, they're, they're true about the one person. For all eternity, this one person, it was impossible for the person, second person of the Trinity, to experience need outside of the divine nature. Impossible. Utterly content. In that sense, immutable. Unchangeable, self-existing. And yet that same person knew what it is. I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. Knew what it is I need to relieve myself. I thirst. I'm hungry. Those experiences are true of the one person. That's amazing. And we're meant to think about these things. We're meant to marvel and to go deep with these truths simply because they go to the very heart of who our Lord Jesus, our Savior, who He is not just who he was, who he is. And so allow the truth of the incarnation to enhance the depth of your worship. As we sing the glories of Jesus, we are to, to marvel that, that you are worshiping God, the creator of the universe, who now and forever is also fully human for your sake 
and for your salvation and for the glory of God. See, because Jesus is God, He is omnipotent, He is all-powerful, He is all-knowing, and thus He can never be defeated because He's God he is the only adequate Savior for us sinners. And so believers are to know they are eternally secure, eternally safe. They can never perish because of your Savior. And because He is God, all people that have ever existed will be accountable to that one human being who is God when he returns to judge the universe. And because Jesus is human, he experienced the same things that we do so that he can identify with us very intimately. Because he's a human being, he can come to our aid as the sympathetic high priest when we feel absolutely overwhelmed with our weaknesses and our sin and our suffering. Because he's a human being, he can relate to us and in a way, therefore, we can relate to Him. We cannot truthfully complain ever that our Savior does not know what we are going through. Our Savior knows. And no wonder the writer in our passage of Hebrews 2 ends it with verse 18. For because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Oh, how good that is. And so, as we sing here in a moment, think about the words that we are singing. Silent night. Holy night. Holy infant so tender and mild. We do not mean, wow, he's becoming holy. There is one holy God. That's what the song means. Holy, human, infant, so tender and mild. God incarnate. Christ, the Messiah, Christ. The Savior is born, Jesus. Lord, at thy birth, Jesus 
Lord, in thy birth. Let us stand and adore our resurrected and ascended Lord together.